Welcome to The Bear and the Bull. Today I have a very, very special guest, someone I've been dying to interview on this show. She has a resume to die for. NCAA championships multiple times. Uh, Herman Trophy in three consecutive years for Stanford. Club coach of incredible renown. And in her first year as a head coach at UCLA, an NCAA champion. Marguerite Ozauza, welcome to The Bear and the Ball. Wow, thank you so much. That was quite an introduction. It's fully deserved. Okay, I'm not going to mess around. I'm going to get straight into it. There's 10 minutes left in the national championship game. Your team is 2-0 down. You're, I'm looking at you on the bench. You're as cool as a cucumber. Tell me what was going on in your head. Well, it was really twofold. There was a small part of me that was thinking, okay, if we do lose this game, like, how am I going to react? What am I going to say to the players? How am I going to somehow console them and also convince them that they still have so much to be proud of in kind of our first season under my leadership? So that was one kind of occupation in my brain. But the other part was recognizing, okay, we're still in this game. We're creating a lot of chances. What can we do in terms of adjustments, whether that was tactical or with personnel to continue creating those chances or perhaps even create more dangerous chances? So there was, again, I was kind of of two minds in that moment. Um, but thankfully we scored with 10 minutes left and made it 2-1. And so then I had to worry less about losing the game and worry more about um, finding ways to tie the game. So obviously now you're 2-1 down and and one of the, I think, great things about the college game and, and yet uh, a frustrating thing for me is you can actually see the time just dribbling away. I mean, in in most other soccer, there's not a countdown clock. It's all at the discretion of the referee. So you actually know that there is literally seconds left in your season and you have a great set-piece opportunity. What are you thinking at that point? Yeah, so like you mentioned, I think the finality of college soccer is something like very American, but very, at times it can be very dramatic, which is kind of fun to be in. Um, what's wild is with about two minutes left on the clock, when we we're still down to one, UNC actually had a free kick in their attacking half. And some way, somehow we ended up with the ball, our outside back made that run forward, eventually crossed it off their player. And that's how we got the corner kick. So it was very quick. Like I was thinking, okay, how are we going to defend this set piece that they have that really their whole objective was to just delay the game further and kind of eat up that time. And then credit to our players because they were able to switch their mindset so quickly. As soon as we won the ball, they just went straight down and like straight down into the attack. There was kind of this finality of that moment though, because I think by the time our corner kick taker got the ball in her hands there was 22 seconds left something like that and so I think everybody in the stadium knew like this was the last play of the game last play of the season in some ways and so we were just kind of hoping honestly at that point that the players on the field remembered some of our set pieces we had talked about um, in high pressure situations kind of putting the onus on our opponent serving the ball into dangerous areas making it combative like make them basically make a play because I'm like, imagine how they feel, right? Like they're up one goal with 15 seconds left 
And it's an all or nothing for them too. So we're like, let's just make it difficult. And that's kind of what we did. We served the keeper, got numbers in the box. Um, we're very fortunate. We have a lot of very dangerous players on set pieces. So we kind of put them all in one spot and just, um, it was not pretty. I get that. But we just were like, you know what? We're just going to kind of will will the ball in at that point. Well, Ryland got credit for the equaliser, but I can't help but think, uh, I can't remember the name of the player who took the corner, but I mean, incredible technique outside of the foot. I mean, that's that's about as brave and courageous as a corner kick you can take in that kind of situation. Because, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to travel the world and see the game played at the highest level. And you very rarely see a player outside of the foot corner kick because so often it goes out near post. And this one was just seemingly perfect and on its way into the top corner. Yeah, so it was actually a freshman player. Her name's Ali Lemos. And um, we talked about it today, just how how calm she felt in that moment. She's like, I don't know why. Like, I just had this calm presence. And she's like, but the only thing I could think was do not kick it out of bounds. Um, and thankfully she didn't. And it kind of was just one of those things. Like, it was probably as perfect of a ball as we could have asked for. It practically scored itself. If not, maybe it did score itself. Um and she said, as soon as she saw the line or the ball cross the line, she's like, I was in disbelief. Like, I couldn't believe it's like time stopped when I saw the ball, like hit the top of the net. And she was like, I just thought, oh, my gosh, like, get the ball. We got to go do kickoff. <laughs> like, and what, what was your emotion? I mean, seeing that, I mean, obviously what, watching it on, on TV, you know, all the subs are on the field. Everyone's just going absolutely bonkers. And, and, and in that moment, you know, you, you know, you're back in it. and and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but for me watching it and, and being a, a big supporter of you guys and your program, I'm like, okay, done and dusted. There's there's no way UNC's coming back. Yeah. I mean, as we know, soccer is a game of momentum and there's no like greater giver of momentum than scoring such a dramatic goal. It was wild. Like, I think we all kind of blacked out, honestly. Um we all had a tear in our eye too, because it's like, you were just on, on the very edge, like literally the very edge of ending your season. And as wonderful an achievement of being second place is like, it's not the same. It's like, you feel like you lost the biggest game, the one that actually counted. And so to go from that feeling to tying the game and actually having a chance, it was just such a swing in the emotions that I think, yeah, it just left all of us speechless for myself. I had to quickly change my mindset because I had not honestly been planning very far ahead for overtime. You know, we were just kind of like doing anything we could to get a goal. I wasn't necessarily thinking how to get a third goal or preserve the tie or whatever. Like we didn't even have really a strategy in place. But when you gain the momentum like that, it did feel like there's no way we can lose this game. And so we went into overtime and we told our players like, look, like how happy we're feeling is how defeated they're feeling. And we, in fact, like turned to their huddle and we looked across the field and I was like, just look at the energy we have because of that goal and look at, look at like their state right now. And so we're like, let's capitalize on it. We're like, now they're on the edge. Let's push them off. Like, here we go. Like, let's just keep going, keep going. And all the players were just saying, they're like, we're winning this game. Like we got this, we're winning this game. There's no way we lose this now. And so we kind of were able to take that energy into overtime. Yeah, it's wonderful as a coach and being able to read body language and look at your opponents and go, yeah, 
that they're, they're, they're done. You know, put a fork in them. There's just there's just no way. And and then looking at your guys' body language was, yeah, onwards and forwards. So really, that's 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 the the end. Hopefully, the beginning. But let's go to the beginning of you. Let's start as a you know a, a young lady as 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 a player. What was it that first attracted you to the game? Oh, so funny story. I had no intention of playing soccer at all. My family is a baseball family. My dad played in college. We were totally immersed in little league, everything like that. Like if you had asked seven-year-old Marguerite what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have told you like first female professional baseball player. Like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and it wasn't until all my friends basically started playing soccer that then my mom was basically like, if you want to have friends, honey, you're going to have to try this because all your friends play and that's what they're doing every single weekend, every afternoon. Like you might as well just go for it. So I didn't start playing soccer until I was in third grade. Um, and thankfully I, I had this amazing coach. All my friends, like I said, were playing. So I quickly fell in love with it. I played for MVLA up in Northern California. Um, I stayed with the same club, my entire club, career. So from the time I was nine until 18, and then I actually started coaching for MBLA while still in college. So I kind of credit MBLA for my, um, for my career thus far, but more importantly for my like passion for the game. So what was it about the sport that attracted you? Because obviously, you know, I, I look at, and I, I know it's it to do with your friends, but you look at baseball and you look at soccer. I mean, you cannot get two sports. <laughs> more diametrically opposed to one another yeah I think the fluidity of soccer was very appealing I was a very cerebral player and this idea of like how every person can solve the game a different way I, I love that piece I think this is also why like if this is what attracted to me to the game as a player it's no wonder I became a coach if this was like the highlight um and I loved how like I'm not by elite athletes standard. I'm not super athletic, so I'm on the smaller side. I'm definitely on the slower side, but soccer was a game that allowed me to compensate for that with just thinking and with strategy and just being savvy. Um, and I just loved that part. And that's the part that still really intrigues me now. Yeah. I, I love that part as well, that you don't have to be this physical beast to excel at this great sport. You can think your way through it. And, and some of the best players I've, I've ever seen have not been these explosive type players, but they get on the ball and they've, they're have they already three, four, five moves ahead of the game. And you're just thinking to yourself, wow, how do they do that? So yeah, that, you've done, yeah, you've done well at high school. Were, were you heavily recruited as a player? Yeah, I was very fortunate um, for being as slow as I was. I had a fairly successful youth career. Um, I played for youth national teams, stuff like that. I, again, credit MVLA for that just incredible development. Um, and so I was highly recruited out of high school, but I also was highly injured. So I tore my ACL twice in high school. So that was, um, I think I knew then that I wasn't going to become a professional soccer player. Um, and I do credit my injuries and the approach I took for that, like for also getting me into coaching at such a young age and allowing me to enjoy the sport, even when I wasn't necessarily the one on the field. And so I ended up choosing to go to Santa Clara. Um, I had a wonderful experience there. I can really appreciate Jerry because he's also somewhat of a tactician. And so I think that part um, of my development in Santa Clara was one greatly beneficial to the coach I am now. 
but it also kind of kept my interest in the game very high. How was it working with Brandy as well? Because uh, really, this is a great story. And in, in 1993, I was taking my, uh, 94, taking my A license at Santa Clara and Brandy was taking her B license. And um, there, was a, there was always a coach's game, you know, where, they, where they'd look at you and see if you had, at least had a clue about how to kick a ball. And I remember I was, I was going through one of my exercises and uh, the B license game was taking place. And uh, I didn't know it was Brandy at the time, but there's a free kick coming up. And I'm not, I wonder why they're, take, they're letting the, the, uh, the young woman take the free kick. And of course, she bends it in the top corner. So <laughs> the, uh, at the cafeteria immediately afterwards, you know, I went up to her and I, I'm like, you know, wow, you know, who are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm Brandy Chastain. And then we got to talking. And of course, you know, she was on the World Cup winning team mm-hmm. in 91. So it was, it was really cool. And we've known each other for, uh, you know, ever since, 30 plus years. So uh, did, did you get much from her as, as a, a mentor as well? Yeah. So Brandy came on to staff at Santa Clara, I think my junior and senior year. The thing that stands out the most, which I'm sure if you've seen her play and know her as a person, is just her competitiveness. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> contagious. It is absolutely contagious. And I love that she just owns it. Like she is not bashful about how competitive she is. And I think to see that in person was really inspiring. I also just love, like, she loves the game. She loves it so much. And so that passion comes through, not just in competitiveness, but also just in enthusiasm. Like we never trained when she wasn't super excited to be there. And I love that. We try to, as a staff, we try to bring that every single day because it, it is, like I said, contagious to the players. And what was, what was the four-year experience like of being a collegiate player? Because, you know, many young high schoolers come up to me and, and they have designs on playing college. And I always try to make it very clear that there's, there's, there's a J-O-B component to it. You know, it, it is a job. Um, and especially... Uh, when you're playing at the higher levels, did did you ever feel like it was a job, or w- was it still uh, a, a diversion from education? Um, it's sure there were their hard days, like 100. Um, percent But I I honestly love the game so much that it it never truly felt like that. Um, Jerry used to say I was like the soccer equivalent of a gym rat. Like he'd see me out on the field and text me like, you need to go home now Um, because I just I I could be out there all day. But at the same time, there are elements of being a student athlete that are just difficult, like time management. You make a lot of sacrifices. There's very few college students that are up at 530 in the morning, lifting three or four days a week. Like and then I will admit my sophomore year, I didn't play nearly as much as my other years. And then it became really difficult for me because it just felt like, you know, you're doing everything in your power to be the best player you can be. And some years it's just not what the team needs or it's just you're not performing. In my case, it was a little bit of both. Like not only was I not performing well, but also it I, I didn't really fit what our team needed that year. And so kind of swallowing that was difficult at times. But credit to my, my friends, one, for being there. I thought my coaches, like, they were supportive and they were very honest. So it was easy a little easier maybe not to take it so personally. Um, And then also my parents, they're so funny. Like they're not the typical soccer parents you have these days sometimes. Like my dad would just say to me, well, if you want to play more, I'm like, I'm sure Jerry's doing whatever he can to win. So you just need to play better. I'd be like, all right. (laughs) 
very like supportive in their own way. And my mom, she's just loves everything. So I could play like seven minutes and she'd go, you were amazing out there, honey. So it was, um, it was definitely difficult though. And I can definitely empathize with my players now that may not be getting the playing time and just the different challenges that that presents. Yeah. Talk to me quickly about that mentality that, you know, you obviously developed and, and then how you now can transfer that experience to, to your current team. Yeah. So I've always been very pragmatic, very like matter of fact, I would love coaches just to tell me like black and white, this is what you do. Well, this is what you don't either. You're good enough today in our death chart or you're not, or you're, you're contributing what we need you to contribute or we're looking for something else. I think we definitely take that into our program. Now we try to be as transparent kind of as possible. Um, We've, feel like transparency is a sign of respect. Like if I know something that's dictating how you are being treated or how your experience is going to go, it's best for us to just put it on the table. Like if I know that you may not play, you know, or may not travel or whatever it is, or that you're our fourth center back and it's unlikely that we're going to use four center backs in a game. We try to just be pretty upfront about that. Um, But a lot of that also comes down to empathy. I mean, I was very fortunate to play at a high level in college. My two assistants did as well. And we kind of occupy all different um, experiences. You know, I have an assistant on staff who had to medically retire halfway through her freshman year. So I think she has a real soft spot in her heart for some of our players that are going through more serious injuries or that have had to kind of redefine their roles on the team. I was a starter some years other years not. Um, Captains one year, two years, other years not. So I've kind of had that experience. And then our other assistant, he had a very, very, very successful, illustrious career. So we all kind of have had different experiences and we try to take take what we learned from those into how we approach our players. Yeah, I've been was lucky enough to work with Goffin at UCSB for a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had had a great time together. I mean, what, what a wonderful, wonderful player for your student athletes to to look at and just from from a technical point of view i mean golf is like he's like butter i mean it's mm. everything is just so smooth and silky and and it, it was so funny him him being a, a very smooth silky offensive player and me being a rugged center back i mean we we were very on both ends, ends of the spectrum but that was such a beautiful thing because we could we could give such varied experiences to uh, to the UCSB players. Uh, wonderful experience, and and I'm I'm so thrilled for him. You know, both of you, your first year, and and you and you win the uh, the championship. So you're coaching right now. You've left uh, you've left you've left Santa Clara. What's 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 your mindset? Are, are, are you already deciding? Yep, I want to be a college coach. Nope, not at all. I was like perfectly happy in the club world. Um, So I started coaching in club when I was a sophomore in college and I had two club teams. So I was kind of like coaching full time, being a student full time, being an athlete full time. I don't know how I was really managing that, but I did somehow. Um, And then in MBLA, it's not rare for a coach to take a team from U7 all the way to U18, the same group of players. So there was a group of players, they're like 2002 birth year, 2003 birth year. 
that I started that program when I was 19 years old, when they were six or seven. And so when I graduated, that's when they were a little older, 10, 11, 12, kind of. And in my mind, I was perfectly happy just keeping that group until they were 18. And then kind of maybe at that point examining what's my next step. But as we know, life doesn't always go according according to plan. So um, I think maybe two years out of college, maybe one and a half years or so, um, I got a text message actually from a parent who had talked to Paul Ratcliffe on the sideline of a club game. And there was an opening um, when Nicole Van Dyke, she had just left. And um, the, the, the dad texted me and was like, hey, Paul kind of asked if you'd be interested in the job at Stanford. And I, I hope you don't mind, but I told him 100% yes. And so credit to that dad for helping me out. Um, and then sure enough, two weeks later, I was on campus working full time at Stanford. And I kept the two teams that I had been working with in MBLA. Um, and very fortunate, like I ended up eventually going down to one team, but still staying involved for the O3 team. And what's amazing about that is right now, my O2s, a lot of them are juniors in college currently. And then a lot of the O3s are, soft, are sophomores. And so it's really funny just to see kind of our lives intersect now with me being a head coach in college. And we play against quite a few of them because a lot of them are in school in California. So that has been like a really, really special experience. But like I said, I was super happy in the club world. I think the club world I love how it's mostly focused on development, um, kind of preparing players to play in college, to play at an elite level. And that's like my first love. My first love is the development side. And then kind of the second love would be the tactics, I think. Um, And so I always say like club prepared me for this job just as much as my previous college jobs. So talk about jumping into the fire though. You're going to one of the most storied successful programs in the country, Stanford University. Did you did you feel at home immediately or, or was there was there a little, you know, that 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 little period where you're kind of unsure about, you know, what your role is and what you're meant to be doing and, and, and how far you can start influencing the team? Yeah, there was definitely a warming up period. Um, Paul was amazing about that. He really let me grow into the role. Um, and then as it kind of evolved, I think the role grew also. But He was fantastic in just offering that support, kind of letting me go at my own pace. And then Hideki Nakata, who's now the head coach at Utah, he was the the other assistant when I was hired at Stanford. And he did the same, like really just kind of took me under his wing, showed me the ropes of how to be a collegiate coach. Mostly the things kind of off the field that like as a club coach, those things I didn't have as much experience in. And so really like Paul and Hideki, I couldn't be more grateful for basically two seasons that they let me just kind of like ease into things. And it wasn't until I was a more seasoned quote unquote um, assistant coach that I felt like I was contributing more to the program. Talk about the the, the two components uh, of being uh, an assistant coach where yes, there's the on the field, uh, as you said, the tactical, the technical, the, the mental, the physical, but then there's the other side that I think many people really don't understand, which is, a lot of admin, uh, a lot of travel, a lot of scouting, um, you know, working with scholarship players. T- tell me tell me how that came about and, and you know, where, where the two intersect. Yeah. So when I first was hired at Stanford, like, believe it or not, like we didn't have a director of ops. 
we didn't have at the time, we had not hired a volunteer assistant. So it was really like a three-man show, me, Paul, and Hideki kind of doing everything necessary to to run a program. So I really got my feet wet in that sense, um, in terms of even like things like equipment, travel, meal planning, all the things that kind of go maybe unappreciated <laughs> behind the scenes. And so having a background in that, I think really prepared me to be a leader of the program I have now, just because I have a true appreciation for everyone on my staff, um, people that we work with day to day. So like my assistants or our strength staff or our athletic trainer, um, but also the people that we may not see every day that are doing equipment, that are helping with travel, that are helping with academic planning or housing. Um, it's not lost on me or my my more immediate staff that we couldn't do what we do unless we had a ton of support behind us. And you jump into the program and have amazing success. What was what was that like to be so so new to kind of the collegiate ranks and, and yet here you are winning winning titles and championships? Yeah. I laugh because I have lived this incredibly charmed life some way, somehow. Um and like you said, when I stepped into Stanford, the first year we lost in the Elite Eight, second year, we actually got knocked out early by Santa Clara. So that was a real doozy for me emotionally. Um, but after that, we, I think, went to the Final Four three times, won two championships. I think the cooler part of that in some way is the players I got to work with, just the individual players and how talented they are. The Naomi Gomez of the world, Andy Sullivan, Katarina McCart, like those are just once in a decade players. And so it was so cool to work with them every single day. What I took from that is just how to, I think, one, manage elite players. And so many of them are task-oriented. So many of them are looking towards the future. We want to make sure that our players here understand how invested we are in their development beyond what they can do at UCLA. I think that's massive. And then the other thing is, like, how to manage the pressures of being one of the best teams in the country. And you have to really balance the enjoyment of that. Like you have to cherish that because so few teams get to enjoy that. And like when you have a 20 win game or a 20 win season, like that's special and you have to honor that. But at the same time, like sometimes it's hard to be the team where if you don't win a championship, everything else feels like nothing. Like there's teams in the country that if you were to make it to the final four, like that could be the furthest your program's ever made it. And you've made history. And so whatever happens, happens, but you know you have that in your back pocket. There's other programs like ours where it's like the expectation every year is to be in contention for a national championship. And anything less than that feels like a shortcoming. And so managing that, um, Stanford is definitely a lesson in managing that. So you had two NCAA titles in the space of three years. How did the first one feel? How did the second one feel? Oh, a lot of people have asked me that um, also in conjunction with the one we won this year, kind of like, how does it feel different winning as an assistant to winning as a head coach or whatever it may be. And quite honestly, I don't think the feeling is that different um, and credit to Paul, because I think he gave me so much ownership in the program. Like I didn't feel like I was winning on someone else's behalf. Like I really felt invested in, in the wins we had at Stanford. I don't think there's a feeling like winning your first one. That is just something so special um, because you've never done it before. And you just, it's like an overwhelming joy. Um, the second one, 
at Stanford. We won in truly dramatic fashion, not as dramatic as this one we won in UCLA, but um, very dramatic fashion. Um, quite honestly, I will always associate that win with Katie Meyer. So whenever I think of it, I just think like, hey, that was that was her moment. And I love that about that moment. Like it allows me to just reminisce and kind of hold her close to my heart. So I will always associate that win with Katie. And then winning this one, it was so odd because it was it was surreal. And what I found myself doing is just watching, watching our players, watching our staff, everyone involved in our program that had never won before. And just seeing that joy on their faces and that pride on their faces, it brought a tear to my eye. And I didn't even feel like that um, present in like the win for myself, I guess. Um, I just was like watching everybody. And that was really special. Yeah, that sounds really cool to be able to just react and and soak in everybody else's joy you know and and i think that's one of the reasons i love coaching is 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 seeing the joy that your players and your coaching staff just throw out there in in those magical moments so now you're at this you know wonderfully successful school you're winning ncaa championships are you thinking i'm ready to be a head coach or are you thinking comfortable here what 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 was what was your what was your uh, what was your thinking at that time and 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 your motivation yeah similarly to how i was feeling as a club coach i was very happy at stanford so happy um i felt incredibly privileged to one be competing for championships two to be coaching those special players both those that are special all in the field and those that are doing incredibly special things in the classroom or off the field um, and just Stanford itself, I think, is a wonderful place. It just breeds excellence, and it's cool to be around that every day. Also, I'm from the Bay Area, so it was very convenient. I had my whole family there, my childhood friends. I still worked for MBLA. Kind of everything was in place for me to be perfectly comfortable. And it wasn't, honestly, uh, without a lot of encouragement from other people that I ended up applying for this job and honestly ended up sitting in this chair. So. I I consider myself a very ambitious person, but I didn't feel that itch or that urge to leave. I think sometimes assistants feel that way if they don't have a lot of ownership or if they're not being fulfilled where they are. But credit to Paul, I really didn't feel that way. Like I felt like I was still growing very much at Stanford and um, it was it was, you know, one of my favorite places. I, I told him when I got the first call from UCLA. I said, Paul, I would never consider leaving unless it was something absolutely incredible. And to which he said, yeah, Margaret, I think UCLA is pretty incredible. He is a UCLA alum after all. So um, that's kind of how that conversation went. And so with his blessing, I kind of went through this process. So you roll up in LA, first season. You can't tell me you thought, I'm going to be a national champion. Yeah, no, I didn't. I, so I said that for sure. Goals, our, what were the, uh, the dreams? So I think in taking the job, I was very familiar with the program. I had a pretty good sense of the players we had in place and what they are capable of. Um, so I knew that, like, in the very back of my mind, we had that potential to contend for a championship. And that was the goal. It was like, can we get the puzzle correct? where we give our chest chance, or give ourselves the best chance to win. 
But as we know, also, like, you got to respect the game. Like, you could do everything right, and it could hit off a sprinkler head and go in the goal. Like, you just don't have a ton of control always on game day. So um, I think realistically, yeah, we wanted to be in contention. Like, can we get ourselves to a point where, where competing for a championship is realistic? My husband laughs at me because all through season, like, we were very fortunate. We performed very well. I think at one point we were number one team in the country for nine weeks out of 12 weeks or something. I really wasn't excited about our season until we made it to the final four. So that's when you started, that's when you started believing. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm like, if you don't get to the final four, you can't win. But if you get to the final four, like everybody's got a chance. And so it really wasn't until we won the quarterfinal that I was like, all right, we like, we're kind of on track for what we wanted to do this year. So when you were putting together your staff, obviously every, everybody's really new. What, what, what were you looking for? What, what part of um, building that management coaching team, what, what are the most important components? And, and, and do you want everybody to be slightly different or are, are we all on the, on the same track? Yeah, I welcomed a lot of variety and we call it balance. Um, I didn't want, I mean, soccer staffs are small, relatively speaking, compared to some other athletic staffs in the college world. So everyone plays such an integral role. I felt like we all can't be the same. Because then we're not going to really um, relate to every single player. We may not be well prepared for every situation. Like we've got to try to optimize what's going on in the office and kind of optimize that capacity um, by all being a little different. But we did need to have some things in common. And I would say those things would be like compassion. I'm like, we have to be very player centered. Um, I want every time we face a hard situation to like give the benefit of the doubt to the players and understand that we're here to help them grow, even if they're frustrating us today. <laughs> you know, um, think like trust and collaboration was massive. I'm like, this is a staff that I need to be able to look to and know that we have each other's best interests in mind, as well as the best interests of our program and our players. And that has to be steadfast. Um, and then the other thing is just like chemistry. Honestly, I'm like, we are going to spend more time together than what is mostly considered healthy. So we need to be able like to enjoy each other's company truly. And I think that's what um, I'm most proud of. Like our staff, we love hanging out together. We love being around each other. Um, one of our players asked me a couple months into season, she's actually been inspired to be a coach. So I think she was, had her wheels turning and she asked me, Mark, did you just hire your two best friends or what? Like, and I love that that's the team's perception, like that we truly want what's best for each other. We truly enjoy each other. Um, we have a blast. Like our players laugh at us because they're like, we can hear you coming up to training because you guys are laughing so hard. And I think that joy is contagious. And so it's hard for our players to come to practice in a bad mood if we're having a blast. And so that those three things were probably most important. Notice I didn't say anything about soccer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, because <laughs> that's I th I think the, the, the soccer's just like the icing on top of the cake. You know, I, I really believe that. So um if if you get everything else in place, that kind of takes care of itself to a certain degree. Um last question. What are your strengths as a coach? Great question. Um, I would say like clarity is a big strength of mine. I try to be very honest 
I have a clear vision of what our staff wants and kind of how to get there. And I think in the way we communicate to our players allows them to also see that clearly. I would say like emotional regulation. I'm most people commented this about this in the final, but like I don't really go super high. I don't really go super low. I try to keep everything pretty even keeled, which allows me to to analyze and allows me to make the correct decisions. And then I think just authenticity, like we're not as a staff wholly, we're not afraid to be ourselves and um, not afraid also to admit when, when things haven't gone right or that maybe they didn't go to plan. So, yeah, I may have lost you. You are frozen on the screen. Oh yeah. No, you're just frozen. You're fine. So um, oh, okay. Marguerite, we get, I get a lot of uh, kids and, and coaches listening to this podcast. If they had questions for you, is there any way for them to get hold of you? Yeah, I mean, so long as NCAA allows us to talk to them, so that mostly has to do with their age. Um, we can't obviously respond to anyone who's in their sophomore year or younger. It has to be after June 15th that they're the conclusion of their sophomore year. Um, but we, you know, we have our email address. It's up on the website, just wsoccer at uclaathletics.com or at athletics.ucla.edu. Wow. Um, also, we try to stay pretty on, on point with our social media. So through Instagram and Twitter, those are always great ways to reach out to us. And we try to be very open. So this goes um, not just to players, but for coaches that listen to the podcast, we we love to give back to the game. So um, we welcome questions. And if we can ever help um, coaches kind of walk through their career or walk through their journey as a coach, we always we always welcome that. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at Nick Webster, and of course, Cassell's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Wow, what a great conversation. Great to be an NCAA champion. We'll be back next week with more soccer and more of Bear and the Ball. Until then.